0: Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, CorwinRosewood.com. Now on with the show.
1: Episode two, Where the Lapis Runs in Rivers. Welcome. I'm Corwin Rosewood, and tonight we return to the adventures of a fabulously dramatic vampire named Victor. When last we saw him, he was stalking a mysterious and attractive stranger named Robert, and had just revealed that he was, in fact, a vampire. Scene, Night and Day Cafe. You're a vampire, Robert said, his tone more than incredulous. Victor shrugged, puffing cigarette clouds into the sky with indifference. Yes? Well, you certainly look like one, Robert quipped. Victor had to laugh at that, his face lighting up in delight at this unusual human. Robert was more than living up to his expectations. Do you have any questions? Victor asked. The humans always had so many questions. Do you kill people for blood? Robert asked, taking a sip of his super sweet iced coffee. No, we have a very humanitarian system worked out, Victor said with a note of pride. Robert raised an eyebrow. Oh, really? Victor nodded. Many years ago, we formed an alliance with some witches, and they made us a little healing ointment. Clears the wound right up. Along with the memory, most people are only left with a bit of missing time and a desire for a very big breakfast. Robert looked appalled. Victor frowned. It was not the response he was expecting. So you just go around assaulting people and wiping their memories? That's awful. No, well, yes, but it's not like that, Victor said, indignant. The audacity of these humans was shocking sometimes. This is the moral way, the kind-hearted way, to be a vampire. We're not murdering them. (laughs) Sounds like a pretty low bar to me, Robert said. That's a kind of messed up fantasy life you've got there. Victor was temporarily tongue-tied, a rare occurrence. This was not heading where he had expected it to. He paused and shook his head. It's not a fantasy, it's true, he said smoothly. I can't change what I am. I'm a predator by nature. I need to eat like everyone else, but unlike some of my kind, I do my best to not cause harm when I do. At least we're not ravaging the countryside murdering families like it's the 18th century. I guess under that logic, you're a pretty good guy, Robert said sarcastically. Victor shrugged in response, raising his cigarette to his lips again. You don't believe me, do you? He said. Robert laughed. Of course I don't. Victor leaned back and opened his mouth, exposing his fangs. Then he flashed his eyes red, grinning wide as he watched Robert's expression. That's a neat trick, Robert said, still disbelieving, but clearly a little shaken. Victor returned to a human appearance. Your turn. Tell me something about you. I never agreed to that, Robert said, clearly somewhat unsettled by Victor's fangs. "'What about blood bags, like the vampires on TV? Why don't you just use those?' Robert asked. "'Well, aside from the fact that they taste absolutely vile... "'We actually can't,' Victor said, matter-of-factly. "'At least not all the time, anyway. Vampires can't survive on blood bags alone, "'though goodness knows some of us try.' Robert looked at him warily, seemingly at odds between attraction and disgust. Victor decided to move the conversation along. Enough about me. I have a question for you. What is that scent you're wearing? That strange herbal floral one? I've never smelled it before. Robert was still looking a little stricken by the vampire talk, and Victor thought he might not respond. But finally, he did. Uh, I don't know, really. It's just something my sister made. She's got a little herb shop on the other side of town. She's always making weird stuff. "'Is she a witch?' Victor asked, curious. (laughs) "'I guess so, as much as you are a vampire,' Robert replied with a smirk. "'Why do you ask? Do you like it?' "'I do,' Victor said, a little wistfully. "'It's unique and strange, just like you. "'You're a puzzle, Robert, and I love puzzles.' Suddenly, Victor was reminded of Persephone and what she had said about Robert and her strange prophecies." Do you know anyone named Lirin? He asked bluntly. That's quite an odd name, Robert said, surprised. I don't think I do. Who is he? Oh, just someone. Don't worry about it, Victor replied, relief washing over him. Just someone? why do you ask then? No reason. Just trying to figure something out. That's a damn cryptic answer, Robert replied, his face turning sour. He put his things back in his bag and started to stand up. Between all your weird vampire stuff and your negativity, I think I've had enough of you, Mr. Fabulous. I've already dated enough divas. I don't need more drama." Victor was stunned and alarmed. He hadn't been turned down in over a century. Robert grabbed his iced coffee from the table and looked at Victor, ready to walk away. To his surprise, Victor found himself panicking. "'Wait, wait,' he said, reaching his hand out pleadingly. "'I'm sorry. He's my ex, from a very long time ago, he said darkly. It didn't end well. That's why I didn't want to talk about it. A friend of mine saw me admiring you and said she thought you might know him. She was clearly mistaken. Robert lowered his bag back to the table, but didn't sit back down. Okay, that's reasonable, he said, pausing for a moment, and a little smile crooked the corner of his lips. Admiring me, you say? When were you doing that? Victor grinned leaning forward with a practiced look that had landed him many eventful evenings in the past. I was admiring you from across the cafe before I sat down here, but actually, I'm still doing it now. You are very beautiful and interesting. I must confess to being a little smitten with you, Robert. The heat rose to Robert's cheeks, and he looked away quickly, but Victor saw a big grin spread across his face. Well, uh, well, uh, all right, right. That, that's very nice of you, Robert said, clearly flustered. But I do actually still have to go. Do you know the Belladonna Club? Victor searched his mind, but he came up empty. I'm afraid I don't. Is it new? Yeah, it's at Smith Street in Western, in the old warehouse building. I know that place, Victor said simply. He knew everywhere in this city. I'm DJing there tonight. I've got to go sit up, but I'll be on around 11 if you want to come by. Maybe we can, uh, see where this takes us or something. He turned his face back to Victor, his long lashes framing eyes full of excitement and nervousness. Victor nodded. I'll be there, he promised. Robert nodded back and waved goodbye before heading out of the cafe. Victor leaned back and smiled to himself. He always got his man. Scene. Samson's Boathouse. The night was well underway, and the moon was peeking its face out from behind a cloud by the time Victor reached Samson's boathouse. He had not stopped thinking about Robert, savoring his memories of their conversation like a fine wine. There was just something so unique about him. It was hard to pin down exactly what it was. In many ways, it was everything. From the way he dressed to the way he smelled, it all felt new and unexpected and sent his emotions into a whirlwind. Victor loved the chaotic feeling of a new crush. It could never be love, of course. You could only have short relationships with humans because of the Lyrin problem. If you tried to turn them, you never knew what might happen. He shook his head to clear these silly ideas away. What was he even thinking? Love? That's ridiculous. This wasn't love. It was pure infatuation and nothing wrong with that. He mulled over these thoughts as he traveled until he found himself standing outside Samson's boathouse. He looked down at it, the lapis lazuli inlay on the railings, glinting in the moonlight, and he was reminded with a chuckle of Persephone's cryptic description of Samson's second home. Where the lapis lazuli runs in rivers to the sea, she had said. Victor had to laugh. She was so dramatic. He jogged down the stairs, hearing already the familiar tinkling sound of bangles and rings clinking together that he always associated with Samson. Samson was his oldest friend. Theirs was a complicated relationship. It always was with vampires, but mostly a good one. Although their personalities were both forceful and they sometimes disagreed, they were always on the same side. They were ultimately bound by a shared idealism. They both lived by a core belief that vampires and humans could coexist peacefully. Also, they were both fabulous and liked each other's company. Victor knocked on the door and Samson's voice from within told him he could enter. He turned the handle and walked into the glamorous boathouse. Whenever he went to Samson's boathouse, he was always surprised by how much larger it felt than you would expect for a boat. He saw Samson at the bar, mixing themselves a drink. Samson, like many of their kind, had given up on gender long ago. They often presented as a completely different aesthetic or gender every time you saw them, the only constant being their penchant for an excessive amount of jewelry. Today, they were wearing a fitted suit vest and high-waisted dress pants of some kind of shiny black fabric. Their inky black hair was hanging long and loose down their back. The bangles on their wrists were all in shades of gold, which contrasted stunningly with their rich skin tones. Samson was from India originally, although Victor wasn't exactly sure where, which wasn't surprising really. New blood vampire origins could be murky at best. In fact, no one knew where Victor was from at all, including Victor. Ah, Victor, sit, Samson said, indicating the small couches built into the sides of the boat, the lapis inlay just above them. What's going on, Samson? Victor said, sitting down on the couch and leaning back. He tried to find a place to get comfortable, but it was just impossible on a boat. He hated the feeling of being so disconnected from the world. It always put him on edge. No time for pleasantries? Samson asked. Not tonight, Victor said sharply, thinking of Robert and his DJ set. Why did you summon me? Cocktail? Samson asked coming out from behind the bar, carrying their finished drink. Victor shook his head. Samson shrugged and sat down across from him. You may want one after you hear the news, they said, and sipped thoughtfully on their own drink. Victor was not in the mood for Samson's theatrics. He was feeling very impatient tonight. He wanted to get this over with and see Robert again. Would you just tell me already, he snapped. Samson looked hurt for just half a second, then recovered. Be in your bonnet, Victor. Victor growled slightly. I've got somewhere to be. Samson looked delighted. They tended to be a bit of a gossip hound. Ooh, who is he? Victor frowned. How do you know it's a he? Samson laughed, all their bangles rattling delightfully. It always is with you, Victor. You love your suave young men. I don't think I have a type, Victor said, pouting. Samson laughed, a loud belly laugh this time. I don't think I've ever seen you as much as glance at someone who wasn't a stunningly handsome young man. Victor rolled his eyes. Did you just call me here to mock my love life? Samson laughed and shook their head, silky hair falling in waves around them. No, but you make it so easy. Samson turned and reached across the couch to press an almost invisible button on the side. The arm of the couch popped up and revealed a small compartment. They pulled out some papers and an iPad. They swiped through things on the iPad until they arrived at the image they wanted, and then passed it over to Victor. The iPad had an image on it that was very blurry, but it looked like a small stone building and a tree. What am I looking at? Victor asked, frustrated by another one of Samson's dramatic puzzles. Samson leaned over and zoomed in on the photo, their acrylic nails tapping on the screen. They enlarged the image of the little building so the door was visible. Victor pulled it towards him and stared at it for a moment, feeling like he was playing a silly game. What is this? It's just a blurry photo of a building, he thought. Then suddenly, the shape of the building clicked in his mind. The memories rushed back, and his gut wrenched in fear and horror. He dropped the iPad onto the floor with a loud bang. Oh, um, sorry, dear. I didn't mean to, he said breathlessly. It's fine, Samson said, swooping down to pick it up. "Uh, Is that, is that where I think it is? Victor asked, his voice a whisper of barely contained fear. Samson nodded ruefully. But the door, the, the door is open. Open, he said, barely daring to think about the implications of that. Samson nodded and handed him the papers they had on their lap. They were copies of local news in the area telling of strange weather patterns and an unusual livestock death near the location. Victor scanned the papers with his hands shaking. Samson looked at him. Their eyes met and they felt comfort in their shared panic for a moment. Samson took Victor's hand and gave it a little squeeze leaving ring marks all over his soft skin. He found the touch comforting and it brought him back to reality. There's no way, he said, leaning back on the couch and brushing away his fear like autumn leaves. We don't even know what that means. Maybe it's nothing. There's a million supernatural events that could have caused that. It doesn't mean it's them. Samson nodded. Maybe, maybe. uh, That's why I'm gathering intel about it now. When did this happen? Victor asked. Two days ago, according to my sources, Samson replied, I already have people in the area, but I wanted to keep you informed in case anything unusual happens to you. He understood now why Samson had not just called him. They didn't know what was happening or who could be watching them, but keeping what you know secret is always an advantage. Victor breathed heavily, finding the small space of the boathouse extremely confining. He pulled at the neck of his loose shirt, even though three buttons were already undone. Is there anything else? He asked, his eyes darting to the door, and the thought of fresh air and solid ground cooling his growing anxiety. Samson nodded and stood up. They went across the room to a small built-in bookcase and pulled one of the books out. Behind it, they hit a little button that opened a tiny drawer below the bookcase, seemingly out of nowhere. They pulled something out of it and brought it back over, handing it to Victor. He looked down and saw in his hand a small burner cell phone with glowing pink occult symbols drawn precisely all over it. I had one of my contacts do some enchanting work on these so we can communicate securely. When you use it, your call will be shielded from all magical interference. Victor whistled. Whoa, whoa, this must not have come cheap, he said turning the glowing phone over in his hands and marveling at the intricacy of the rune work, Samson grimaced. It did not. I don't need to tell you to be careful with it. Victor nodded. Of course, of course. He stood up and headed towards the door, yearning for the cool night air. If that's all, I've really got to be going. Samson grabbed his arm, stopping him before he went and pulled him into a hug. It was unexpected, but maybe that's why it worked so well. He felt so much of the anxiety and pressure building in him leak out at this expression of love from his friend. Victor gripped them tightly, remembering fondly all they had been through together, and feeling deep down that he would always be safe if Samson was around. Samson pulled away and held their gaze firmly. It's probably nothing, but if it's not, we will be okay. We can beat them. We did it before. Barely, Victor said, frowning. That may be true, but barely is still a win. We are still standing and living. It's them locked in that mausoleum, not us. A win is a win. And if we did it once, we can do it again. Victor nodded, his anxiety rising again at the mention of the mausoleum, but he kept his face blank. He didn't want Samson to know just how scared he was. You're right, and you know what? It was probably nothing anyway, Victor said. Samson nodded their confident agreement, though their eyes told a very different story. Scene. The City at Night. After leaving Samson's, he was not ready to head over to Belladonna Club just yet. In fact, seeing Robert tonight, which had loomed so loud in his mind before, now felt small and almost insignificant. He wandered around the docks for a while, feeling the grain of the wooden beams through his light shoes, finding the steadiness of it calming. He sucked in the cold night air and let the sea breeze wash over him, as his anxious thoughts chased each other like rats through a maze. Had they really escaped? How? Who was helping them? Would they come for him first or the old families? Did it matter? If they found him, what would they do to him? It would certainly be a fate far worse than death. He worked to get his thoughts under control, to get his calm confidence back, but it wasn't easy, especially with so many questions unanswered. He sat down on the side of the dock his legs dangling over the side like a little kid, and breathed in deeply, trying to let the sound of the waves and the feeling of the wind calm his nerves. He reached into his jacket for his cigarettes, and his hand bumped the magical phone Samson had given him. He lit a cigarette and pulled out the phone to look at it. He turned it over in his hands, the little symbols across it glowing softly with a beautiful light pink hue. It was an object of beauty now, this cheap little cell phone, also of great expense. The fact that Samson had given him this told him everything about how real Samson thought this threat was. Victor closed his eyes and squeezed the little phone tightly in his hand. He took another drag on his cigarette and resolved to be strong, to fight whatever may come, and to win. For Samson. Maybe even for Robert his heart did a little somersault as he slid back into thinking about Robert, finally putting his anxiety aside as he tucked the phone away inside his jacket carefully. As bad as things would be for him and Samson if they lost, it would be so much worse for Robert and any other humans in the area, especially anyone unlucky enough to be friends with a new blood vampire. If the Chevaliers truly rode again, no one was safe. Victor stood up and finished his cigarette, grinding the butt under his foot and got his bearings. He looked at the time and decided he was ready to head to the Belladonna Club. He wasn't far away and he hated cars, so he decided to walk there, or supernaturally walk there. He focused his energy into his body to move with added speed. He moved through the city gracefully, his long coat flapping in the wind behind him as he whipped around corners and past shop windows in a blur until he finally arrived at Smith Street, a few blocks from the club. He slowed down to a leisurely stroll, adjusting his hair and shirt. Both were a little bit messy from his brief run. He was only about a block away from the nightclub when his heightened senses told him something was happening above him. He looked up to the skyscraper next to him just in time to see a body fall off the balcony of an apartment. It barreled down on him with frightening speed and even with his vampire reflexes, he barely dodged out of the way in time as the dead body slammed into the pavement exactly where he had been standing with a decisive thump. Victor gazed down at the corpse on the ground, bloodless and with skin white and ashy and remembered what Samson had said when they gave him the magical phone. Just in case anything unusual happens to you. Well, he thought, this definitely qualifies. And so we bring tonight's chapter to a close, with Victor wondering just what is going on, Samson pacing their boathouse, and dear Robert just playing his DJ set, oblivious to the drama brewing all around him.
0: You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost. With additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Corwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at corwinrosewood.com. Thank you for listening.